Hi, welcome to The Conversation. I'm Gretchen, and this is Conversations to Connect. You're listening to episode 35, and this week we have my friend Issa joining us for our Amplify Black Voices series. We're so excited to have her on the podcast with us, and we hope you enjoy. Well, thank you so much, Issa, for joining. It's amazing for joining um, the podcast today. I'm so honored to have you on. Thank you. And you're joining from where currently? So I am currently in El Paso, Texas. Ooh, how is it down there with the weather? It's hot. But it's <laughs> a good kind of hot. I I love this kind of hot. It is a little bit humid. I was going to say um, it's the heat without humidity. Exactly, but it did try to rain this morning, and it tried to rain a little last night. We're talking El Paso's version of rain. By yeah. The way. <laughs> So it's humid, but compared to most of the world, you wouldn't call this humid. So. Oh, well, I'm glad that you're enjoying the weather. So Issa and I, how do we even describe how we met each other? Because that's like a story in and of itself. <laughs> right. And seeing that I am a combat vet, my memory is not the greatest. I don't want to embarrass myself. No. So we'll just say that we met through Girl. Yeah, so Girl Clothing, which is a clothing line, we found individually online, separately, but they uh, put together a conference, if you will. Yes. And so Issa and I met for the first time in 2017 at this conference. And as soon as I saw her, she walked into the hotel. I was sitting having dinner with some of the other women. And she walked in with Courtney, who is the CEO of the company. And I was like, oh, Courtney, how are you? And then I knew I recognized you. And I was like, like I knew you I was like I'm Gretchen we're best friends <laughs> but I loved it because you were like what's up girl right and I don't even want to tell my secret of how many times I've heard that this has happened that people have met me this way and they're like and I recognize you and I'm like and I still have no idea who you are I know oh I know you had no idea who I was well because you had at that point an Instagram presence so that's how we've met and we've seen each other at this point what like um, a couple times a year once or twice a year it's always nice to catch up but it's good to see your face it's good to chat with you even if it's not in person Right, because that's the thing um, why sometimes my memory goes on how I've met people because I know people by their handles. Right. Because I do meet a lot of people over social media. I do use social media for the purposes of meeting different kind of people. Yeah. And I'll know people by their handle and not their actual name. And a lot of people's handles isn't just their first name either. Right. So, and, and it changes. So I don't commit Admit a lot to memory. Yeah. But it'll be like, I recognize your face. And yes. as long as I recognize your face, then we're good. I'm like, hey, girl, hey. Yeah, right, exactly. I don't need to know your name, but I know I recognize you. Right. And so that's <laughs> why, I, again, why I don't want to embarrass myself. And when <laughs> I meet people, if they recognize me, you know, I'm just like, hey, what's up? You yeah. Know, and I try to treat everyone. As if I know them, because I probably do. But ultimately, what you never want to do is for someone to feel like they know you, and then you respond back. Right, you're like, who are you? Uh, excuse me. Come again. Stranger, yeah. stranger danger. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then also, especially with doing girls and doing so many events, God bless uh, Courtney. I don't know how she, keep, how she can keep up. But it's also like, I don't remember where. I just know I had on girl clothes. Yes. People recognize me because I've worked different events for them. And so then they come up to me and they're like, oh, my God, how are you? And I'm like, hi, I don't know who you are. It's nice to meet you. So it's a lot. Also, the great thing about you and I, which is a little different from some of my other relationships that I've forged through girl is you and I also eventually had the opportunity to be roommates. Yes. And we were able to take our relationship even farther. To the next level, if you will. But not like that. No, not like that. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with that. Better friends. Just better friends. Right, because we were able to really spend some time getting to know each other away from the hustle and bustle of the event. And then it just, it became a relationship outside of the internet. Yes. That I actually, like, I value the relationship that we have 
within girl. But again, we have a relationship now that is separate from girl and separate from the internet. Correct. And I also value that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so you did mention a little bit, you just said that you are a combat vet. Will you share a little bit about what you do for work and all of that? Sure, sure. So anyone who's listening to this, congratulations. You get a little inside peek because I don't talk about my military stuff very often on the Internet. No particular reason. It's just just a personal preference. I'm like Beyonce. I like to keep certain business. <laughs> That's right. Keep it know, separate. In in boxes. But I am a Army officer. I've been in the military for 23 years and counting. Mm-hmm. I have been deployed to Iraq twice. And I've been to Jordan once. And I've also been to, I've served in Korea and various other places in the United States. So that's pretty much, you know, I have a very diverse background, but I'm also from St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm born and raised from a very Midwestern area. And even my first duty station in the military was in Kentucky. So it oh, was wow. still very, I'm very, very much a Midwesterner. But growing up, I always felt like Belle from Beauty and the Beast, and that there must be more than this provincial life. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I love that. Oh, I was very... Right, you're like, it can't just be this. It can't. There's no way. It's just because not Because I see television. I'm watching TV, and me going to basic training is how I started realizing that the things on TV were representative of other places yeah like, they were real places they weren't just story like right. these places that you see actually existed actually exist and there's actual people that look different and talk different and act different and have different experiences and different weather like <laughs> god bless my heart but growing up in st louis in a midwestern town everything is very very midwestern you're very very much you saw a lot of the same. Yeah. What was you know, that like for you growing up? I mean, like, in terms of people that look like you. So, and I grew up very much in my neighborhood was an all-black neighborhood. Okay. I grew up in the city. I I did not come from dirt. Like, I was not dirt poor, but I was concrete poor. Like, yeah. I was very poor adjacent. Yeah. And I grew up in an all-black neighborhood. But here's the kicker. I went to a very diverse school because I was gifted. And so I came up through the gifted program. So I was in the gifted program from second grade all the way to 12th grade. Mm. So I grew up very diverse as far as the people who I went to school with, which was interesting because then I went back home and was back in the hood. (laughs) And then I would ride the bus with, you know, all these different people. And then eventually when you get to the age where you start going to slumber parties, you're driving through these other neighborhoods because St. Louis is a very segregated, especially back then in the 70s and 80s, it was very, very segregated. Yeah. So you drive through these neighborhoods and see all these different neighborhoods. And so I go to my white friend's house who, you know, I may have known her for three years, Angie to be specific, but I had never been to Angie's house. And my mom would be like, oh, Angie lives too far. And I never go to that part of town. And Andy never comes to my part of town, you know, until there's a birthday. And you just kind of see how different people live. And that was, for me, my first inkling that if St. Louis is like this, where I grew up in one area Mm. that looked exactly like what I, you know, exactly what I know. But I have a friend who lives on the other side of town. And her life is completely, her neighborhood is completely different. You know, it just, I was like, if I have this feeling in St. Louis where I can see that there's differences, then the United States must be like that. Mm. And then the world must be like that. And, you know, this sounds very duh to most people, I'm sure. But as a young, precocious child, it was a a revelation for me. I'm sure. But it. But it set the stage to why I wanted to travel and get out. Mm. And it fuels me even today. It 
the little precocious child is still inside of me where I always want to know more because I'm so fascinated that, again, this person or these people who I'm friends with who don't look like me, but they grew up, they grew up in the same city as me, we have similar experiences, but we also have very, very different experiences yeah. based off of how we look. So my core friends from this grade school, the one um, there's a white girl, there is a Korean girl, there is I have a black uh, female friend, and I have what well, two black female friends, and then I have he's uh, so a male and he's mixed, but he's very very light skinned. Okay, so he's what you could be called passing. Yeah, he he looks way more like his mother, who is a white woman than his father mm. so so all of our experiences as children and we we're still friends into our adult life is just very interesting i was gonna say always fueled me that must want to know more yeah and that must have been really cool growing up with such a diverse friend group like how awesome for you and also all of your friends to have that experience i don't think a yes. lot of people get that experience not to mention, again, the school. So the school went from second grade to eighth grade. Mm. And then you, if you, and most people, when you graduated eighth grade, most people went to this, this particular high school, this gifted high school. But the kicker was our year of graduating, another school opened. So our eighth grade class basically split into two for all intents and purposes. Um so it's just interesting because I didn't know any difference. So I didn't know that it was not normal to go to the same school for eight years or to have the same group of right. friends pretty much your entire life. So like my white friend that I had mentioned, I've known her actually since first grade. And then we both went to the same school, the gifted program. And so from second grade, and then we went, you know, second grade to eighth grade. And then we went to the same high school. So then all the way to 12th grade, wow. so I literally have a friend that I've known, and we're still friends today. Mm -hmm. Her son just graduated high school. I got the invitation in the mail. Like, so I didn't know that this was not normal because yeah. it's all I knew. Right. It wasn't again until I started ex expanding and finding out that, oh, there's middle schools? Like, what's a middle school? What is that? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that is. I'm like, wait, you don't have friends that you've li literally known your whole life? that didn't grow up on the same street as you. Mm -hmm. Because mind you, I didn't go to school with anyone that was in my neighborhood. So was that hard for you? Was that hard uh, to like, the, the people that you did grow up with, like on your street or in your neighborhood, went to different schools? No. It wasn't hard for me because I'm, there was a gang on my street. Mm. A gang headquarters on my street. So most of them didn't even go to school. Gotcha. <laughs> well, that would make they a difference. In, yeah. Yeah, they were in those streets. Um, they did a whole series of ga on Gangland, the TV show Gangland, about this particular gang. Hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, and then the, there weren't any kids my age on the street okay. either. So the kids were really my sister's them age. So, yeah. It, was it just, didn't really affect know, it. Was, right. So it didn't really affect me. Because, again, also, I, I, I would still do stuff at the, at the school that was down the street. For like after school programs so okay. I still saw them a lot I just and I knew that it was because I was in so I was arrogant at a very young age I knew it was because I was in a gifted program <laughs> you're like I'm yeah. smarter than all of y'all so <laughs> right so <laughs> so how old were you when you enlisted then I enlisted my freshman year in college yeah I enlisted my freshman year in college because college was boring. Because mm. again, I was right. I'm too smart for this. A, right, I was in a gifted program in a college prep high school. So yeah, college was super boring to me, and so I joined the Army Reserve. Because here was the kicker: my mother was like, "I, I don't care. You have to go to college. Mm. This is not optional." I didn't even live with my mother. I moved out at 17, so college. I didn't even live with her, and she was like, "I don't care. You're going to college." Yeah. <laughs> So I went, but then I was like, but I wanted to join the Army. So then I found out about the Army Reserves and joined the Reserves and then did the Reserves for my entire college time. And then as soon as I graduated college, 
I wear active duty. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, here you go, mom. I did what you said. Here Bye. You Here's my diploma. <laughs> Bye. I'm still going to do the army. <laughs> <laughs> and I went active duty. I just transferred right into active duty. But my goofy self, I didn't really know much about being an officer. So, no, I didn't do ROTC. I literally took the long road to being an officer. And it was after 9-11. Mm. Which, no, I did not go active duty because of 9-11. My story is not that patriotic. (laughs) (laughs) I went active duty because I had gotten into an altercation. Well, because when I had graduated college and was trying to figure out my next step, and I was working at a Blockbuster video because they still existed then. I worked at Blockbuster video, too. Yeah, so (laughs) I was on the track to be a store manager. I was an assistant store manager, and... A white man, very racist white man, spit on me <gasps> over a $3.25 late fee. And so I quit my job. Oh, my God. And quitting my job, I was like, I could, I just had this thought process that I was, you know, pissed that here I am in St. Louis and I'm getting attacked. And he wanted to bring his wife in to fight me as well. Mm. Trust me, I'm not the victim in this story. No, yeah. <laughs> because I was trying to fight this man back once he spit on me and I was like you can bring your wife in I'll whoop her blah 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 but I quit my job Yeah, and I figured I'm fighting someone over $3.25 I can get paid a whole lot more to endure a whole lot less and I was like and I'm graduated already so it's like I have been thinking about going active duty so you know what I don't have a job now. I'm going active duty. Yeah. So again, not a very patriotic story, but it and it just so happened that I knew that active duty would take me because 9-11 has already happened. Ah, uh, gotcha. So it was the same year that 9-11 had right. happened. So then you start, when did you first move to different cities? Because I know that you and I, previous to doing this podcast right now, you and I had talked about some of your experiences in the different cities that you lived in and how... It was some cities were like, oh, this is really different. And other cities were like, I barely even noticed a difference in terms of the right. people around you. Right. So when I went on active duty, I went to Kentucky. I mean, I would almost say Kentucky was the South. It felt oh, yeah. South. And it's not even as Southern as right. real Southern, like Deep South. It wasn't Deep South. But I agree but with you because I used to live in Tennessee, and when we would travel through Kentucky, it felt more like South than it felt Midwest. Right. And we were right, and the base is right on the border of the state line of Kentucky and Tennessee, both okay. base. The only reason it's called Fort Campbell, Kentucky is because the post office is on the Kentucky side. Oh. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, a little tidbit. It's because of the. Because the majority of the base is on the Tennessee side. Mm. But nonetheless, it felt very Southern. Like, the Klan, there were still active Klansmen oh, wow. in Kentucky back when I moved there. I mean, this was the late 90s, but still. Like, you still. would catch them trying to do fundraisers outside the installation. But see, that's like that. really important because so many people think, oh, but that, the Klan, that's... That was years, so many years. You're talking late 90s. There were still active members, and they were doing active fundraising. Yes, and you knew which places in Kentucky, like near the base, near the military installation, were probably owned by Clinton. Wow. You know, so that, and I stayed there for, you know, a couple of years. Then I got stationed at Fort Hood for a little bit. That didn't feel too weird, even though it's Texas, and Texas is definitely Southern. Yeah. Yeah, and that didn't feel bad. But then I moved and got stationed at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is an old Route 66 town. And again, it's Missouri. Yeah. So not technically south. It's the Midwest. But it definitely felt black. Because again, it was Missouri. It's only two hours away from St. Louis. So still very, very conservative. Yeah. You know, and at this point, it's just normal to me. And then when I moved to El Paso, Texas, I felt completely different. And I tell people this all the time when they ask me, what do I like about El Paso? And it sounds weird, especially to someone if you've never experienced it. But I've never, it was the first time I had been somewhere and I didn't feel black. I didn't feel like a black person. I felt like a person Mm. where I felt like 
people saw me as a person before they saw me as a black person. Wow. And it's, again, it's a fit. And it was one of those things that was like, when I walk into stores and stuff, because I'm always, I'm not afraid to go anywhere again. I, I came from the concrete. Unless I want to never do anything, you better not be afraid to go places. So, I mean, again, nothing could be worse than having a notorious gang headquarters on your street. On your street, literally, right. Right. So, you know, and by this time, by the time I moved to El Paso, I had already been deployed uh, twice mm. by then, too. So it's just like I would walk into stores and people would treat me differently. But you know the difference between being profiled. Mm. Like, I don't think you're going to buy nothing or why are you in here? You can't afford it. Or I'm watching you because you, I think you're going to steal something. Right. Like, that wasn't the feeling I was getting. And, but I knew I was being treated differently. I just couldn't figure out why. So then as I grew to expand my friendship circles here in El Paso, I found out, oh, they're treating me differently because they assume I don't speak Spanish, which I didn't. And they didn't speak good English. Oh. So it was a language barrier, not a I'm treating differently because you look different things that you right right and i was like you know what that sits fine with me because whereas i cannot choose to be black and for all intents and purposes i can't choose to be female right which i've been discriminated against because i'm female Mm -hmm. um i can choose whether or not i speak spanish right i that's an accommodation i can make right so it's like oh okay so it's it's a language barrier oh okay cool and so it was just a great feeling, again, where I've grown up always feeling my race first mm. to just wake up and just be Issa. And then it would be like, oh, yeah, you are black, aren't you? Like, <laughs> right. you know, But it actually had to be pointed out almost instead of it right. already being noticed. Right. Because even with my friend group, I would notice when I would go back. Um, while I was living in El Paso and I'm showing like and posting pictures of my friends and stuff, I would have someone say like, wait a minute, you don't have no black friends down there? And I wouldn't even notice because they never made me feel like, and if, again, for those who don't understand what I'm talking about or can't fathom what I'm talking about, it would be literally something as simple as, for instance, I was down there when I was living in El Paso when Mike Brown was murdered. And, you know, of course, most people would be like, <gasps> Mike Brown was murdered. One, he was murdered in St. Louis. Two, how it exits now from my mother's house. Okay. So you would be like, oh, you're from St. Louis. Do you know about what's going on with Mike Brown? Or it's like, oh, you're a black person. They're saying black lives matter. (gasps) What do you think about that? Right. And everybody was just like, so why are you so tense today? And I'm like, uh, because... Mike Brown, a black boy, was murdered and left dead in the street for hours like a dog. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, like, when I look at Mike Brown, I see my brother. Oh, yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and again, I I, I don't mean it. And it wasn't in, like, a disrespectful way. No, it was literally in, like, I don't, I just see you. Right. Which, you know, and I have issues with people saying I don't see color, but it's more of a, they weren't judging me because of, I wasn't always constantly right. being judged right. because of my color. We could right. watch, you know, a movie like Boys in the Hood and they wouldn't say something like, oh, well, I know you've probably seen this five times before. No, it'd be like, oh, so you seen Boys in the Hood? And I'm like, uh, yeah, that is like a black coat classic. They're like, oh, oh yeah, you are black. <laughs> like that. Right. Right. Like in a very non-judgmental way, you know, or if you're talking about, you know, slavery, not like any of my friends in El Paso, we're not sitting <laughs> They'd be like, oh, so what do you think about slavery? No. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm just giving examples yes. of times where I very, very much felt black. So yeah. say I was in a classroom in St. Louis or we're doing something with the military and, you know, I don't know. They want to talk about slavery, and then because you're like one of the only ones in the room, the whole room turns and looks at you like you're now the spokesperson for, you know, slavery. Yeah, right. You know, you know everything about slavery, right, Issa? Right. And so again, it was just one of those things that here I in El Paso I didn't feel that. Well, and, and do so, you feel like is it because that in El Paso 
the ratio, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, the ratio that of people who are people of color is much higher. They might be more of Hispanic descent, Latin descent, yes. but that it's just, they don't see a lot of white people necessarily there. Right, because even, oh God bless my heart, even some of the white people, the, the few white people that I knew at the gym, yeah, I remember being like, oh, oh, you, you white? Because you have, because you're married to, you know, a Mexican or right. Mexican American, your last name is Martinez, and I just thought you were light skinned, right? Yeah, because again, that El Paso sun will give you a certain level of golden crispiness, <laughs> no matter what, right? So that's where, again, for me, it was just like, and I'm not saying that like Mexicans, they have their own, I've learned, Mm -hmm. they have their own level of classism based off of random things. Yeah. Same way the black community has their own classism based off of random things. Yeah. So again, it was just me being an outsider. I didn't feel like an outsider. It was just a community of people of color. Yeah. And so you just didn't feel judged on it all the time. You know, and even though I'm back now and there's all this weird racial divide in the country, El Paso feels a little different, but not completely different. Yeah. It's still like, more than anything, they're like, man, don't bring that bullshit here. (laughs) But yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, don't be bringing that racial divide that white people, black people, brown people, we people, we El Pasoans, we Texans. It's going to be what it's going to be. You either down with us or you're not. Mm. Just period. Like, don't bring that crazy racial, at least my group of friends. Yeah. You know, so. Is that refreshing to be in a place where you're like, oh, I can just get away from all of that? It is. It's like, oh, I can, I can just relax for a while. I mean, because God bless the struggle, but it's also exhausting. Yeah. You know, it is. It's it's exhausting. Well, I can imagine too, you know, again, being in the military, moving so much. It's like, here we go again. Brand right. new base or brand new town, brand new people. Got to go through it all again. Right. Like, even the office I work in now, it's so refreshing to work in an office that is very, very diverse. Mm. Because even in the military, I'm still oftentimes the only one of something. I'm either the only female or I'm the only black. Mm. Um, so again, you become a spokesperson for all things, right, female, right, related or black related. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And you're like, I didn't ask for this. Right. Can I just be, can I just be Issa? Yeah. Can can I just be myself? Yeah. So that, you know, it's just one of those weird things that weird conversational about race that I don't know if a lot of. People, a lot of non-people of color realize, like, because I've, I've had white friends in the past say, like, why do you make everything about race? And it's like, because unfortunately, I can never forget. Right, I can't about, not. Everybody else makes it about race, too. Right, exactly, exactly. And growing up where I grew up, I mean, I, everything was right. Like, you describe people not by the color of their shirt or right. the color of their hair, it was like, oh, my white friend, Angie, my Korean friend, Susie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like growing up, my friend, Angie, God bless my sister's heart, but again, it's how we grew up. My And I've been friends with Angie since first grade. My sister will always refer to Angie as your white friend. Oh, yeah. Or she'll be like, your white friend, Angie. <laughs> Just checking. Not the other Angie. There are no other Angies. There are no other Angies. And and again, it's just just a thing. When you grow up in certain areas, it's just a thing. And um, it can can get tiresome. (laughs) And especially after you travel as much as I have, you start realizing that, whereas again, other cultures have their own versions of classism. They're not based the way that ours in America is based. Yeah. And in other countries, I'm not the the, the source of oppression. Right. <laughs> and discrimination. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you get to feel for a moment what it feels like to not. So it's like, again, when when you have some people that, oh, God, this interview is probably going to be so controversial. You're never going to want to hear it. But No, Doc, I want to hear it. 
I won't be offended if you don't. But it is it, like one of those things that when you, when I run into white people that are oblivious to what it's like mm-hmm. and they become uncomfortable because they've never had to experience it. Yeah. Now that I have had moments where I didn't have to feel the weight of my race, I'm like, oh, no wonder y'all like this. No wonder y'all like being on top so much. Dang. Yeah. Okay. It's so easy. Right. <laughs> right. No, it's a bunch of bullshit. No, it is. For, because yeah. it, and it goes to privilege. I, as a white person, have the privilege to, if I don't want to, I don't have to deal with that stuff. Right. And people of color don't have that option. Like you said, when your friends are like, why are you always making everything about race? You're like, I'm not. I would like to not have to make everything about race. But I constantly, <laughs> everybody else does. And so therefore, I have to. Right. So for instance, I remember one of the last conversations I had with a friend of mine who um is he happens to be white uh and he's married to his wife is a is of asian descent i want to say she's filipino okay so here's a white man married to a person of color and i thought he would have an understanding with the military of how we were dealing with hair in the military and how it was kind of discriminated against basically black people yeah and he still even though his wife is a person of color she for all intents and purposes, still have white hair. So it wasn't translating well when I was very adamant about getting locked. And because he had no concept of the struggles that black women had to go through to meet the military standards once we decided to stop relaxing our hair. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know I'm not familiar with the military standards on hair. Will you just share that a little bit to better for us to better understand your struggle? Yes. So it was a very, and again, it's one of those things that it was a big deal to us and yeah. probably a big deal to a lot of other people. So the military back in 2016 had finally allowed for the military to be able to have locks. And prior um, to that, what, took, what, what was the requirement? It, um, it used to specifically say no dreadlocks or unkept or matted hair. So they would kind of refer to dreadlocks. So they're basically being, being like people of color, black people of color cannot have their natural hair. Yes, and then they also said, like, no twist. And then there's still a lot of regulation on how you can have your braids and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Now, there's other stuff that goes into this regulation. So this is very, very footnotes version of yeah. it. But either way, I always knew that I couldn't have locks in the military. And so when they changed the regulation, it was a big deal for me. Because actually, I've always wanted to have locks. Mm. And there's some cultural significance to locks mm-hmm. that we won't get into right now but then also there's a certain convenience yeah of having locks and braids so for those who don't know black people do not wash their hair every day we don't generate oil the way that other people do in our scalp so we don't wash our hair every day not to mention we go through it's a pain in the ass to get our hair straight mm-hmm. so when we used to have the relaxers yeah i can put my hair up in a slick ponytail real fast and have that military look that they're you know that they reference yeah. in the regulation well when i don't have a relaxer it takes a lot more to get my bun to be slick and if i'm doing pt every day and it's wet and i can't blow dry blah 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 it becomes a super inconvenience and yeah. yes i don't want to be thinking about my hair every day as a soldier so i braid it up or with lock or you would get locks yeah you know? And it, and, but you couldn't do some of that. There was a lot of restrictions on it to make it, again, way more complicated, where I now really do have to focus on my hair a lot more than yeah. I want to. And but more than like, oh, anybody else has to. Exactly. And that would be the thing. It's like, why are black people making such a big deal about this? And it's like... Because it's another like, it's, layer of burden. Right. And they're like, oh, it's just hair. Or, well, you could just cut it off. Okay, pause. First of all, the regulation actually says how short a woman can have their hair. There is an actual length to it. So you can't you can't G.I. Jane it anymore. That that went away years ago. You can't just shave it off. That went away some years ago. And then it's also like, but when I take this uniform off, what if my husband doesn't like short hair? Or what if I don't like short hair? Yeah, what if I don't want it? Right. And it's like, oh well, as a man, I I can't have long hair. What if I like long hair? You know, it's all these layers of crap that it's like, really, I don't want to have to think about my hair. Yeah. You know, why can't I just wear it the way that it is and just 
And so now I have blocks. But I remember having to have that conversation with my white friend, and he did not understand. Yeah. And I got my locks right as I left El Paso, and then I've seen him since I've been back. And he's like, oh, my God, let me see. Let me see. And he's like, oh. He's like, yeah, it, 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 it still looks the same. Like, you still wear it in a bun. I was like, yeah, I know. That's but it's so anyway. much easier to maintain and manage, and you don't have to think right. about it. Right. I don't have to think about it. I put it up. I do my hair on Monday, and I don't take it off this bun until Friday. You know, and then when I take it out, I can style it on the weekend, however, you know. However you want and to. And then Monday morning, I put it back up. And he saw that. He was like, that's what you were talking about. He was like, yeah, why Why was the rules the way that they were? I was like, I don't even want to get into it no more. That was three years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. We're beyond that now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. since you brought yeah. up hair, will you share the story that you had shared with me about the time that you were in the restaurant with some of your friends? <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. It's my favorite story, but it's also mortifying. I'm always mortified for you when you share this story, but I think it's really important because so many, so many white people, I feel like white women do not understand the importance of not touching black women's hair. Right. So first and foremost, understand that hair in African cultures have a lot more significance than in white cultures. Yes. Okay? Just understand that it, it just plays a different role. Okay. Just it just is. It's on a it's on a hierarchy that I can't explain. It just it's a thing. Well and so, if anybody wants to learn, they can go learn that. It is not on you to explain that or to not right. go to other people of color and say, can you help me understand why in your culture hair no go find out for yourself right. there is information right. you can seek it right just know that hair is a thing yes so that's first and foremost so we already feel a ways about our hair there's mm-hmm. rules where like you don't have two people in your head at the same time and you get your hair cut on this growing moon or the, like it's a it's a thing, it's a thing. So understand that now also understand that especially in the united states black people were in zoos mm. And, you know, we were sold on auction blocks and we were put out on display and looked at like we were horses and checked their teeth and how strong their hair, all this crazy stuff. So, again, understand that that was a whole thing in the United States also. Then also, the third thing to understand is we don't wash our hair every day. Okay? We don't wash our hair every day. We do tend to sit because it requires different care. We sit in hair shops for a lot longer mm-hmm. than, you know, non-black uh, people do. So we, we invest a lot of money. So again, yeah. all of this is to say, oh my God, please keep your hands out of black people's hair. <laughs> so here's what happened to me. I was trying to explain this to a, some some friends where we would just, I don't know why we we're talking about it, but they were like, that's not a thing. I was like, no, you guys would be so shocked if y'all knew how many times people just walked up to me with their hands already out trying to touch my hair. And these guys, they just had no idea. Because, again, it's not something that they would do. Right. So they couldn't believe that this would happen to me. And I was telling them it happens pretty often. All the time. Because I've even had a friend of mine touch my fro before and touch a llama because we were at a petting zoo and say, oh, my God, your hair feels just like the llama. What? One hand was in my head. <gasps> one hand was on the llama. Yes. Is that? Okay. And oh. a good friend of mine. Oh, no. That. Bless her heart. So then I'm, t- I'm telling this to my friends earlier that day. Later that night, this was Mardi Gras. We went out to a bar and we're sitting there. I had my locks out. They were very crinkly because they had been in braids all week. Yeah. Um, so it was very crinkly. And we were at a bar and a bachelorette party came through. And this drunk woman walks over. She sees me. I'm, I don't see her because my back is to them. And she walks over. I'm with the same group of friends I had the conversation with that day. And she walks over, full hand open, and palms my head. And is like, oh, my gosh, look at your hair. And she starts running her hands down my tresses, trying to touch my hair. Oh, no. Like, I am black beauty. Right, caressing it or something. Right. And as she does this, 
I just instantly shrink in my seat too bad you guys can't see the video just slide down your chair yes because I don't know how else to remove this woman's hand from my head without again understanding context yeah without me coming off as the person well because but that's another layer right if you turned around and you were like get your hand out of my head you you have to like tone police yourself right so I just slid down in my chair oh my gosh and the men that I was with, they were the ones that was like, uh-uh, bitch, get your hand on our head. What are you doing? Do you know her? Uh-uh-uh-uh. Oh, stop it. Cut it out. What? What? Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And they stuck up for me, and she was just like, but I just want to touch it. And the one guy grabs her hand and moves it. Like, wow. And gets up and moves her out of our space. You know, because it was like, and then he was mad because he was like, what are you guys, what are you ladies even doing here at this gay bar with us? Anyway, like you already in the wrong space. You are a guest in this space and then you're going to do our friend like this. Yeah. But it was just hilarious that it was just like, y'all, I told y'all. See? Right. Here you go. See? Proof. I was like, this is how common it is that we were just talking about this morning and it happened to us this evening. Yeah. I do. I remember when you told me that story, I, my jaw was on the ground because I'm also one of those people that I would never put my hands in anyone's hair, especially without asking. But even like, even if you ask, it's still just don't ask, number one. But if ask, at least just the right. audacity of like, I'm just going to put my hands in your hair and feel it up. No. Right. And then there was, even after I posted the conversation, I, you know, which yeah. is how a lot of people found out. I did a video on Facebook, and there was still points of contention under my Facebook post about my experience. And of course, one of my white friends who apparently does this was like, "Well, she just was fascinated." I don't. It doesn't care. matter. I'm telling you that one, I'm not making this up. And two, I, the person this happened to, do not want some stranger's hand in my head. I honestly, I never even saw this one. Right. I never, I, I, right, because your back was to her the whole time. Exactly. And how dare you? And and again, I'm a combat vet. You walking up behind me is still not a good thing. I mean, <laughs> right? So dangerous. Again, it was. This woman don't even realize how blessed she was that all I did was slide down in my chair. Yeah. You know. So it's just, it's just, but yeah, those kind of things, again, they just happen and it happens very often. And it's just like, I don't think people really understand, again, the layers of, besides the fact that you don't just randomly walk up to people and put your hands in people's hands. That's rude. Right. But then on top of that, the layers of, well, why would you be so mad? Well, one, the lady never apologized. She never thought she did anything wrong. And then two, it's just like, again, there's so much more history in how we feel about our hair. It's damn near religion. It's just a thing. Yeah, well, and it's hard, I think, then, for people to understand. Like, if that's not my relationship with my hair, or if I don't have a cultural relationship with my hair, there might be some white women that are like, well, I don't want anyone touching my hair because, you know, I spend a lot of money on it, or I styled it real nice, you know, for other reasons. But not everybody has that kind of joint, you know, we as white people are not like, our hair is important to us. There are white people who might feel that way, but not everybody does. So in that context, there's so many, even just like you said, when you posted on Facebook that you had friends of yours who are white being like, what's the big deal? Because even some of them didn't get it. Right, right. And it's like, just, and that's why I just always encourage people, just listen to people. You don't even have to agree. I believe them. Yeah. Right. So even that, like, you're like, listen, don't do this. And your friend was like, why not? No, don't question it. Just if someone says, don't do this, don't do it. Right. (laughs) Period. And and I have other friends, even, even the the two of the people that was with me, which makes sense of why the conversation came up. When I first met them, they wanted to touch my hair. Oh. But we were, and I remember having that conversation with them that I was like, you know, I told them, thank you for asking. Yes. And yes, you can. Mm. And trust me, any white person out here listening to this, there are many black friends who will be like, I don't give a F. No, you cannot. Right. 
Whereas me, my friends, I let them, especially because I have lots. So I understand it's not something that they see every day. They absolutely don't understand it. And I don't mind because it's something, it's, for me, it's almost like when people get boobs and like, yeah, they're fake. You want to touch them? Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's like, yes, I have locks and I, my locks don't look like a lot of other people. So I'm like, yes, you can touch it. But oh my gosh, ask me, please. Ask. And if the Just person me. says no, accept it. Don't ask why. Exactly. Just, okay. Right. Period. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's because it. Because if you ask, I will less like, it, it will be less likely that I will feel like an animal in a pet. Yeah. And that I'm just here for your, you know, disposal. Yeah. Yeah. That never feels good. Yeah. That's. So yeah. you also have experience in like the fitness world. And I'm wondering. I'm wondering if you, your face right now, people can't see it, but you, the, the look that you just made. Um, I'm wondering if you just talk a little bit about your experience there. Okay. Well, the space I take up in the fitness world is nowhere near on the professional level. And so I'm sure it is magnified. And I've actually heard Elizabeth Wally. She's known from the CrossFit community. She's talked about it. She is from the professional um, athletic world. But with that, with that, just understand that our bodies are not considered the standard. I mean, black bodies, period, aren't considered period, the right. for, for much of anything other than hypersexualization stuff. So when I was in the fitness space and doing competitions and things like that, even just trying to find companies that mm. had black faces on it was hard. I mean, and let's, I mean, I'm talking about the big brands. They oh, have yeah. them now. That now, even, but no. What, five right. years ago, they did, they barely had them. Right, they didn't, which is how I gravitated to girl clothing in the first place. Because I'm going to tell you, here's the thing that representation matters and why black folks look for other black folks in yeah. spaces. One, we want to know, are we not going to be the representative? Because if I'm the only one, most likely I'm going to be the representative mm-hmm. for all things black, and I don't want that. But then, two, when you talk about clothes, I want to know, will they fit my body? Mm-hmm. I want to know, you know... A lot of athletic black bodies are thick thighs, mm-hmm. small waists, mm-hmm. thick hips. You know, hence why people pay good money to <laughs> hypersexualize themselves. That's right. You know. um, so when you're looking at advertisement, you're trying to find that. And you don't see it. Then when you go to these fitness fairs, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Then when you go to, like, competitions, everybody's looking at you like, oh, you must do steroids because you're big yeah and it's like and no i'm big because i'm just big like, that's how I'm, I'm built right right like i'm in the military sorry i don't do steroids <laughs> <It's not laughs> Can't. yeah um this little 20 dollar trophy is not worth but um to each his own but yeah so it's like in the fitness space a lot of times it got uncomfortable because yeah. you just didn't see other bodies that look like yours represented in the advertisement and again a lot of people, you know, when you're talking about sponsors and things like that, they want sponsorships. They want magazine covers and spreads and this or want to be on the poster. And it's like, you'll see the black guys on the poster, mm-hmm. but you won't see the black females on the poster. In CrossFit, you didn't see a lot of black women. You still CrossFit. don't. Right. You, exactly. you still or, don't. Or black men. You don't see any, barely any color in the CrossFit community. Right, and here, but here's the kicker. There's lots of them in the community. They just don't make that advertised because a lot of times they don't want to see black bodies in that kind of advertisement. Mm. And it's like, but when you do that, you're shutting out more potential customers yeah. because if I see another, like, let's just take yoga, for instance. You know, I like doing yoga, yeah. but I don't, I don't go to a studio. I'd rather do it online because, I'm, again, I want to feel like there's a safe space. You know, one of the quickest ways to get me in a yoga studio? Put a black person in the back in the background of the classroom that you just posted on your Instagram. Because then I know that, okay, I won't be the only black person. So we can focus on yoga and not all of the questions you want to have because I know you're token black person. Right. And, and it, it sounds super shallow, but it's like, again, when you live in a world where these things happen to you all the time, You want a safe space or you want a place that feels like it's not going to happen. 
Yeah. I can, I can just be me. I can just enjoy yoga or I can just enjoy CrossFit for the sake of you see me as an athlete first. Yeah. But when you don't, and then you also wonder, well, what is it? I'm just being honest. This is a thought that goes through your head. It's like, okay, if you don't have any black people advertised, I'm wondering why. It's like, okay, so do black people not go to your, your studio? Right. And then now I'm wondering why. Is it because they feel uncomfortable? Is there something that you, you do right. that makes them feel uncomfortable and they don't stay? Right. I, again, it's yes. one of those things. No, it makes so, sense. So I would tell, what I would tell folks that they're really not like that is to pay attention to the unconscious message that you send when you only have a particular type of person on your marketing when you do your marketing campaign if you only have i mean and Mm -hmm. and i i i cannot i really don't want to speak on the heavier set community but the same thing if you're a gym and you never advertise heavier set people you never use heavy set people in your marketing campaign my guess is that you're turning away a market that makes people feel like you're not welcome yeah and it makes them uncomfortable you know, and so it's a very similar concept when you don't have women on your advertisement, right. you know, or if you don't have any, and I'm not saying you have to have a black person, but damn it, if you're, can you have some, anything like diversity is important. Yes. Just diversity is important. Well, and it's, it's true. Like saying nothing, right? Like not the absence of color, the absence of diversity in size, the absence of these things also speaks volumes so like yes. you said when i see myself not represented they might not be thinking we're doing that on purpose but that's what you see that's what it feels like i don't see myself represented oh i must not be welcome exactly exactly you know and again i'm a person that i'll push against that regardless so i'll still go yeah sometimes until until you do something specifically to let me know that my dollar is not welcome here. Yeah. I'll probably still go. Yeah. You know, but other people, other people aren't like that. You know, other people don't want to do that much work. They don't want to fight them. They're like, if you want my money, then you should advertise the work. Yeah. You know, well, because so, everybody's different. But yeah, so that, that, that was my experience in the, in the fitness as a black athlete. Yeah. And not being able to find clothes that you figured would fit you without going through trial and error, you know, and so there's particular brands that I will definitely wear because I already know. Mm-hmm. Because again, you put a curvaceous athlete on there. You yeah. know, like, oh, you start advertising Serena Williams. If she can fit. I can fit. Yeah. Then I know I can <laughs> <laughs> You know, so. But it yeah. is so important. It is so important. The representation is important. And it's just interesting, seeing that, you know, you this is a psychology podcast. I will say that if this sounds tiresome to anyone listening, understand how I feel. It is. It's tiresome. There's so many layers and such nuances to being a black American mm. and trying to navigate. Where, again, you got to figure out, like, are you welcome? Are you not welcome? It is tiresome, and it can weigh on your mental health. And that's just dealing with that. We're not even talking about the backgrounds, the historics of, again, the fact that I grew up on a street with a gang headquarters. Like, yeah. We're not even talking about the trauma I saw growing up. We're talking literally in the now, how I have to navigate every single day. Yeah. You know, it's like it does get tiresome. Well, and I think you that's know, an important fact is is that it's layers upon layers it's generational trauma because Mm -hmm. people of color who are here are it's from slavery so we have the history of that plus like you said just what you experienced growing up and then you have your everyday experiences so it is just traumatic experiences over and over and it wears on your mental health yeah it does it really does and then again a thing in the black community which is historically based as well black folks don't tend to go get help for mental health they see god in church Mm. and call it a day so then you have a bunch of folks walking around with a lot of unresolved unchecked unidentified trauma trying to you know function in the world 
Do you feel you know? like that has changed at all? Because I know that oh, that gosh, has yes. been there. But do you do you see a change? Do you feel like it has just from your own yes. perspective? Yes. Thank goodness a change is coming. And it's one of those things that I think it became a a buzzword for a while. But it's one of those kind of things that is it needed to happen. It's a good thing. Yeah. Which is we needed to popularize mental health. Yeah. Especially in the black community. You know, and granted, privilege still plays a part because even as black people, we have a certain we have different privileges. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, how we move in the world, you know. It, it you know, everybody always talks about white privilege, but really privilege is privilege. So financial privilege has allowed a lot of people to seek mental health that maybe, you know, other people can't. Right for insurance reasons or whatever the case. Lots of barriers. Right. But even still, the fact that we have now popularized the need for mental health, I think is a good thing. It's a very good thing. It is. And it's it's shifting. It, it, it really is shifting. I mean, and just as a culture, period, just popularizing mental health has really become a good thing. Because even in the military, it wasn't a popular thing. Yeah. Well, and it's one of the things that my co-host of the podcast, Christy, she's another therapist. We work together and she and I have talked about it a lot and that even more recently, we've seen more people of color become therapists, which is so vitally important because now you have more people of color wanting to come to therapy and they want to have an option. They don't want to just be like, well, I can have a white woman or I can have a white man. It would, exactly. be, it would be nice to have options. Maybe they do want to meet with a therapist that's white, and that's fine. But it would be, it's important to know that there are black men, black women, um, Asian women, Asian men, Hispanic men and women. Like, you want to have options. Yes. And we're starting to see more. It's still a long way to go in terms of seeing mental health therapists who are people of color. But we are seeing more of that. And that is invigorating. Yes, and interestingly enough, I saw something on Twitter the other day, and I find it quite interesting because I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. But it's like, oh, yeah, which is all these apps, right? You know, all these meditation apps. Yes. Because it helped reduce the curve of the privilege gap by having apps now. Yeah. To be able to seek therapy. Well, they were talking about on Twitter that it's like, you know, all these meditation apps have either white people or Indian, not American Indian, we're talking no, Indian, yeah, Indian. Yes, Indian. Doing the meditation apps, they were like, can we have some black folks and some Hispanic folks do some of these meditation apps? Because yeah. whatever, whatever, right? And lo and behold, because I even put it on Twitter, I was like, hey, anybody want me to come do it? I can have a Susan voice. I would love but to then, hear I would love to hear a meditation by Issa <laughs> I've actually I've actually done some before I've done some guided meditations before yeah uh, so I, I can I can tone all of this down in a heart <laughs> love it it would be so simple yeah but anyway so uh I did actually see something later on Instagram that there is a black meditation network. That's of some awesome. Sort. I'll have to find it and, and send it to you on Instagram. It gets advertised to, you know. Oh yeah, definitely send that. That's amazing. Yes. And that's, that's, that's something that I would have never, I never even thought about. Yeah. You know, but that's a thing for some people. And I could definitely see folks who, if English isn't their first language, so like Hispanic, English isn't their first language. Yeah, they probably would prefer another Hispanic-speaking person. And then it makes me wonder, like, do they have these meditation apps available in other languages? That's a good question. (laughs) I don't know. They might. That's the thing is, is that, and I think it's important to realize is, if I want to go out and find an app that is accessible in my language, that is recorded by a person who is probably white that it you know like I can find that it is very easy to access things that are familiar to me and that maybe meet the needs that I want and it's important that all people have access like that right right yeah it's important on a whole nother thing I've been thinking about this and pontificating over it lately when we talk about what's going on in the world with the pandemic right now and how 
you have people that are really up in arms about just wearing a mask or whatever. It's so interesting because I'm like, again, whiteness in America has been the standard for so long that they've never been told no, mm-hmm. or that you can't do something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you got you have someone telling you like, hey, you can't come in this store without a mask. And it's like, and that's something you can put on you and can take do, off. Right. But again, it's like you have entire races of people that have been told you can't shop here because of something you can't take off. Right. Or you can't sit here or you cannot receive service here because of something that, and it's like, and it just really makes me think like, oh, wow, yeah. Like in this country, white folks have been the the dominant for so long. They never been told, they haven't been told no. Like, yeah. When they get told no, they they have wars. <laughs> right. When they get told no, they throw hissy fits, basically. They throw tantrums. <laughs> so it's just been kind of interesting. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm being told no for something. Like, mm. yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, and it's interesting because recently there's been a lot of people who are like, no, I can't wear a mask because um, I have a medical condition. They're saying, because of the Americans with Disabilities Act, I don't have to wear a mask. And that infuriates me (laughs) as someone who is married to a man who is deaf and as an advocate for the disability community. And for anybody that doesn't know, the American with Disabilities Act does not say that in a pandemic, if you claim you have a disability or a medical condition, that you cannot wear a mask in a store. No. The store can still say, you can't come in here. The ADA just says that we have to provide accommodations to you. Well, guess what? Right. All of the stores are. You can have curbside delivery. You can shop online. Yes. That's another part of that where it's like, not only am I throwing a hissy fit, but I'm going to try and find a way. And in the same way, basically like stomp over other people, stomp over other minorities. And it's like, just sit the hell down and wear your damn mask. (laughs) Anytime I put on a mask, I think about that woman we met at the last girl live. Okay. Power athlete or something. Yeah. God bless me. I can't remember her name, but you know who I'm talking about. The one who was like, she said it's like breathing through a straw. Yes. Yes. Because she has, she has a condition. She has to wear oxygen all the time. She cannot, she said for her, breathing normally is like breathing through a straw a hundred percent of the time. Right. Yeah. And so, right. I, it, just when you talk about putting things into perspective yeah. and, you know, walking in someone else's shoes, I think about that all the time. Yeah. Like, even in high El Paso, it's 90 degrees. I have to wear a mask because it is mandated yeah. as part of our uniform. And I'm like, as soon as I get in my car, I'm going to take it off. Or as soon as I get in my office, I can take it off. This woman that I met two years ago right. who says it's like breathing through a straw. She can't do nothing. Right. It's always going to be like breathing through a straw, and she's still an athlete. Yes. So it's like if she can live her life like this for her life, her forever, right? Forever. I can do this for five or ten or twenty minutes on the possibility that this may be helping someone else. Absolutely. Like it's, and then also I'm a chemical soldier by nature, and oh gosh, you should see the protective mask. We have to wear when you yes. training. It's like this little bitty cloth thing ain't nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've done way worse than this. Right. I get to the point where half the time I don't I'll drive with it in my, I will drive with my mask on in the car because I've gotten to the point where it doesn't even bother me. Yeah. So I don't I don't sometimes if it's not hot outside, I don't even realize I have the mask on. Yeah. It's like uh, it's not even it's more complicated to take it off and have to take my glasses off first and then unwrap my right. ear and take my earpiece off. It's like, I'm going I'm just going to leave it on. Right. I'm like, this is not, again, I know a woman who says it, breathing is like breathing through a straw. So it's like, ah, eh, this is nothing. I can do this. <laughs> right. I can deal with my face being a little sweaty. I can deal with my glasses fogging up. It's not the end of the world. I can do with this. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Issa, thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you. you. Thank you for having me. I hope we did not bore your folks with our random conversation. You're way too entertaining I, for that. <laughs> I just hope, if anything, someone may have gotten something that they had not 
you know, gotten from a black person before. We can do random conversations with a black person. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I've said it on my Instagram before. And so I'll say that this to all the folks that are listening that, um, you know, may have a black friend. Learn more than just to keep it shuffled from your black friend. Yeah. (laughs) We're quite nuanced, um, you know. We're quite nuanced, yeah. and we're a lot of fun too. <laughs> you know, try try to not have just a black friend. <laughs> yeah, right. Try you to know, diversify your friend circle. Yes, please diversify your friend circle the way you diversify your portfolio. There you go. Or your you know? I, or your uh, music playlist. Exactly. Like, how boring would the world be if all the crayons were red? Super boring. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, there's issues that come. You know, with us being such a diverse community. And yeah, that means you're going to have to do a little bit of work to learn about folks. But um, man, it's sure worth it. And I feel like if people took the time to learn about different cultures and different people and different people's backgrounds, they definitely will find out we have a lot more in common Mm. than we're different. We're just, we have a lot in common. We're just nuanced as people. Just people, period, around the world, you know, and again, that's why I'm so thankful to have the experiences I've had with the military that I've been able to see parts of the world kind of on someone else's die, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, I think it's important. I think it's important for us to learn other people and really diversify our lives. I agree 100%. Thanks so much, Issa. No problem. Thank you for listening to Conversations to Connect with Gretchen and Christy. If you like our show, want more information, and want to connect with us, go to our website at www.conversationstoconnect.com and follow us on Instagram. We hope this episode has given you some useful tips to create meaningful conversations in your life. If you feel like you would benefit from talking with a therapist, one resource is www.psychologytoday.com, or you can contact your insurance company. See you next time.